Today we're going to start a new series that we're calling Follow. And uh, we hope you enjoyed and uh, benefited from our series called Change. And, and it's my prayer that you allowed God to maybe change some things in your life that he had been talking with you about for a long, long time. But we're going to take it a step further from things that God wants to change in our lives that we know we need to change to a step further to really follow him then in his mission and in his ministry. So we're going to spend the next few weeks on that. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said to 12 men two words. He said, follow me. And they did. And it changed their world. It changed them and it changed their world. Those two words, follow me, were not just for those 12 men. But they were meant for every person on this planet. Jesus said, follow me. And Jesus has invited you and me, no matter how we've failed him in the past, he's invited you and me to follow him. So Jesus is saying today, Larry, follow me. Shirley, follow me. Alfred, follow me. Jim, follow me. Ted, follow me. Jesus is saying the same words to us as he did to his disciples. And it's an invitation, listen, to not just believe in Jesus, but to follow Jesus. To truly follow him. It's an invitation to not just believe. Because you see, there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. There's a big difference between being a fan of Jesus, this this great teacher, this great miracle worker, this great God who forgives us for all of our sins, past, present, future, and then being a real follower of Jesus. A difference between just believing and really following. During this looks like to follow Jesus. And you and I, we need to see that. Because when we truly follow him, it changes us for the better. It changes our world for the better. Our city for the better. Our community, our neighborhood, our street for the better. And it leads you into what Jesus came to offer you. And that's an abundant life. But Just believing in Jesus never gets you there. Just believing in Jesus never gets you to that abundant life. But following does. When you begin to really follow him, that's when you begin to reap the abundant life that he came to offer. Yet many who say they believe in Jesus in no way follow him. The truth is this, Jesus never, ever invited you to be his fan, but he did invite you to follow. He never invited you to just be a fan of his, but a follower. And the good news is this, no matter how you have lived, his invitation is still the same. He looks into your heart and he says, follow me. Follow me. And yet a lot of church-going people, are nothing more than fans. People attracted to his great love and his great grace and the great power of Jesus. 
And as long as, as Jesus is blessing him, as long as Jesus is, is doing what they ask of him, they're saying, yay, Jesus. And they're, they're great fans of Jesus. We ask him something, he answers the prayer, and we're cheering Jesus on, yay, Jesus. But let some plans come, some problems come that don't work out. And those same ones that were cheering for him are now leaving him. God, why'd you let this come into my life? God, why didn't you answer my prayer? The same people that were cheering him are now leaving him. But Jesus never told his followers that their lives would be pain-free or problem-free. Instead, Jesus told his followers that in this life, you will have trouble. That this life is inhabited by Satan and sin and sickness, and that equates to all kinds of trouble. And Jesus told his followers that they would have to endure the pains and the problems of this life. But Jesus also told his followers that he would give you peace in the midst of the pain and the problems. Amen? That he would give you power to overcome those problems. That he would keep you from stumbling in spite of your pain and your problems. No, he never promised to protect your body, but he promised to keep and protect your soul for eternity. Amen? He cares about your soul more than anything else. Jesus said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. In other words, set aside all of your goals and all of your plans, all the things you think you want to do in life, deny themselves and take up their cross, which might be some pain, which might be some kind of a problem, and they take up their cross and say, I'm going to follow you. In spite of my pain, in spite of my problem, I will follow you. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then he said very simply in John chapter 10, my sheep, they follow. They follow me. Not the world, not their own desires. No, they're desiring, they're denying themselves of their own desires. They're following me. Now, the scripture I want to focus on today reveals what Jesus did and what he wants you and me to do. It reveals what Jesus did and what he wants every follower to do. Now, the background of this scripture is really cool. Jesus was, was born to Joseph and Mary. You know that. He lived with them until he was of the age of 30. I get this. I wanted my kids out before then. Amen. So, <laughs> Yeah, so so Jesus stays with Joe and Mary until he's about 30, and then he was baptized in the river and confirmed as the Son of God by the voice of God. This is my beloved Son. And then he went to the desert, and he was tempted by Satan. Then after being tempted, the sinless Son of God, he never gave in, he left the desert, and he went to Galilee. At that time, this area of Galilee was part of Israel that was about the size of Orange County. And according to Josephus, this secular historian, there were about three million people living in Galilee during Jesus' day. So this Galilee area that Jesus is going to is highly populated. Lots and lots of people, three million people. And Jesus spent about a year there, and he was moving around, and he was teaching people, he was healing people. But then he made a shift. 
And he left Galilee and went to his hometown in Nazareth. And his homecoming, folks, was a big deal. His coming home to his hometown was like the biggest event of all time. Everybody's now heard of Jesus. Everybody's heard about what he's been doing since he left home. They now know that Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he there cleansed the temple, that he's been healing people wherever he's been going. The word's been coming home, and they know what he's been doing. And now Jesus is walking back into his hometown and heading to his home church. And so as Jesus is walking, the throng is growing, and people are gathering around him. Doors are, are swinging open and people are coming out to see their, their boy, Jesus. They know him well. He was coming home. And they come out to see this hometown boy who's now made a name for himself. Famous guy coming home. And at the beginning of Luke 4, look at what it says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread to the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everybody praised him. At this point, everybody was a fan of Jesus. Man, he's teaching good stuff. He's healing people. At this point, he was a popular guy. The power of the Spirit was on him. The Father was doing miraculous things through him. His fans were telling people about him and cheering for him. Everybody was praising this Jesus. The Bible goes on and says, And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, into his church, as was his custom. So Jesus comes home, heads straight to his home church. His custom was to go to church every week. Now, that's a thought. Amen. (laughs) That's a thought. Going to church every week, a pattern for us to follow. If there was anybody who never needed to go to church, it was Jesus. But but that was his custom to go to worship the Father every week. And that's the habit of Jesus that you and I are to follow. Now, I know lots of people say, I do go to church. I go on Christmas and I go on Easter. Or once a month or whatever. That's enough. No, it's not. God wants to connect with you on the first day of every week. God wants you going to worship as a part of your normal behavior. And Jesus modeled that and you are to follow him. So a good question as we begin is this. How often is your seat empty? How often is this great God of ours not receiving praise from your seat because there's nobody in it? This great God that you want to forgive you and cleanse you and and make a a spot for heaven in you. But you haven't filled up a spot for him. To praise him. How often is our seat empty? So then Jesus walks into his home church and his homeboy has come home. And so they ask him to be the guest reader of the scriptures. And so... Jesus gets up, the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him. Jesus unrolls the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he reads to his hometown the same scripture that's now written later in the New Testament in the book of Luke chapter 4. And look at what he reads. On that day, Jesus reads to his hometown guys. 
And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recover the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolls back the scroll, rolls it back up, gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. And everybody's eyes are fastened on Jesus. That's what the scripture says. Go read it. They're fastened on Jesus. This is one awkward moment. Because Jesus has just said something they can't believe he has said. He sits down and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What you have just heard has been fulfilled. He reads the most famous scripture about the coming of the Savior, the coming King, the coming Messiah that they all know about. And then he sits down and he says to his hometown folks, I've come. I'm the guy. (laughs) He introduces himself as the Messiah, the Savior in his hometown. Can you imagine their shock? They had to be thinking, listen, Jesus, you've been doing some really good things around town. And, and, and we're proud of you. You grew up here. And we're glad that you've come home. But how dare you claim to be the Savior? You're a great teacher. And you're doing some really good things, things that we don't understand how you're doing them. But Jesus, we grew up with you. We went to school with you. You're Joe and Mary's kid. (laughs) You're the carpenter guy. You're not the king. You're not the savior to come. How dare you? And it was in this moment that Jesus says to his hometown, you know the part about the savior and king who's coming? I've come. I'm him. And that sent shockwaves through his hometown so much that if you go on and read chapter four, you'll find out they ran him out of town. The hometown folks, the fans who were praising Jesus now ran him out of town and were trying to run him off a cliff. But somehow the Bible says miraculously, Jesus just walked out of their midst and left. The fans no longer wanted to follow. But listen, not only was Jesus who he said he was, he'd already been doing all the things that he just read about in the Old Testament. As we start this series, I want us to see here in Luke chapter 4 the mission of Jesus because those who truly follow him also carry out that same mission. They do the same things that Jesus was doing. You see, the things that he did are the things that he wants you to do if you are a follower, a disciple of his. So what are they? First of all, we're going to go fast today, but write this down. First of all, a follower cares for the poor. A follower cares for the poor. The poor are the have-nots. They do not have what they need. There is a lack of something that they really need. But Jesus said, I have come to help the poor. I've come to help those in poverty. And there are at least three kinds of poverty. Write this down. Some are monetarily poor. Some lack the money they need. And so that's a major problem in our world today. I want you to understand, did you know that 50% of our world is extremely poor? 
that out of the 6 billion people in the world today, 50% of them live on less than two bucks a day. That means 3 billion people exist on less than $2 a day. And in fact, 1 billion of those same people live on less than $1 a day. That's extreme poverty. In the country of Rwanda, the average income is 68 cents a day. So think about this. Rwanda grows coffee. They sell it to Starbucks. But the average coffee farmer doesn't make enough in one day to buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Or coffee bean or whatever. And that's just not right. We're to follow Jesus in caring for the poor. And that's why this church goes to Long Beach and feeds the homeless. That's why we feel boxes of love every November to feed the poor on Thanksgiving right here in this community. That's why we distribute food from our pantry upstairs when people come in and say, do you have anything? My family's hungry and we we give them food. That's why we just filled goodie bags to give to the homeless that we see on the streets. Because some are monetarily poor and Jesus cares about the poor. Amen? Some are morally poor. They lack the moral standards that they need. They've grown up in a home with not much teaching, not much direction, so there's no moral integrity, no moral standards. And it's when you choose to disobey your moral conscience, that's moral poverty. And there comes a time when you've disobeyed your conscience so often that you desire to do nothing but what feels best to you. That's why this church offers various kinds of support and counseling to help people that are struggling with moral issues to get back on track and to stay on track with the kind of coaching and helping and mentoring and counseling that we can provide. Some are morally poor. Third, write this down, some are spiritually poor. They lack the spiritual connection with God that they need. Folks, spiritual poverty is when you don't know that God exists. You don't know that God has a plan for your life. Did you know that 50% of the world is monetarily poor, but most of the world is spiritually poor? Did you know that there are still 3,000 languages that the Bible has never been translated into? There are still that many people who have not yet heard the name of Jesus or the word of God. Most people don't know the good news about Jesus. They don't know that God made them to live forever. They don't know that Jesus died on a cross to pay for their sins so they could live in heaven forever. The majority of our world does not know about the love of God. Some are spiritually poor, but Jesus says, I have come to preach the good news to the poor. Next, a follower cares not only for the poor, but also for the broken. People who are broken hearted. Jesus said, I came to heal the broken hearted. The broken are those who have been let down by somebody. And the letdown has been hard and it's been hurtful. They've had their hearts broken. And possibly you're in that state right now. But how do you know if a person has been let down and they're broken hearted? First of all, write this down. Some are disappointed. They have this overwhelming disappointment, this heavy disappointment laying on their hearts. When people don't turn out the way that you'd hoped, your kids don't turn out the way you'd hoped, your spouse doesn't turn out the way you'd hoped, your mom and dad go off and do something that it's not the way you hoped, and it can break your heart. 
or when things that you planned on didn't turn out the way you hoped, your job, your finances, your retirement plans. It can break your heart. So how do you know when there's a broken person? Well, it's pretty simple. This overwhelming disappointment shows on their face. It saps their strength. It shows up in their speech. They're so disappointed, they can hardly get out of bed. They can hardly lift their head off the pillow. Second thing about them, and this is how you can know, some are rejected. Those who have been broken, they've been broken because they've been rejected by somebody, and it's broken their heart. Jesus says, I came to heal the brokenhearted. In fact, the Bible says God stays close to the brokenhearted. So God not only wants us to care for the poor and the broken, but then a follower also cares for the prisoner. Jesus says, I came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Jesus came for those lacking, like money. He came for those who are let down those who are broken, and even came for those who are locked up, locked up in prison. Now, Jesus cares about all kinds of prisoners, but he also cares about those who are in physical prisons. Today, did you know that there are two and a half million Americans behind bars? Church, we need to visit the prisoners. We need to share with the prisoners. We can't change or free them from their sentence, but we can free them from the sentence for their sins that they have committed through Jesus Christ. Amen? There are all kinds of prisons. There are all kinds of personal prisons beyond physical. Some are imprisoned by an addiction. Addictions put us in a prison. When somebody says, I just, I feel trapped by alcohol. I feel trapped by drugs. Whatever it might be. Jesus said, I've come. To set you free. You can be addicted to a substance. You can be addicted to some event, some sport, some game. You can be addicted to something like pornography. There are all kinds of addictions that will keep you locked up in a pattern that is not good for your faith or your family or your future. And in fact, the truth is this. If you don't get free from those addictions, you will end up losing your faith and your family and your future. But Jesus says, I have come to set them free. Some are then imprisoned by not only an addiction, but also by a secret. A secret. A secret can keep you locked up in a prison. If you, if you keep it inside of you, it holds on to you and keeps you captive. And that's why the Bible says that we are to confess our sins. We're to get it out. We're to bring our sin to light because light kills the darkness. Amen? Light always dissipates the darkness. That's why the Bible and God says, confess to a person you trust. That's one reason why we have C groups. Because in these groups, you can build relationships with somebody that you can trust. And when you find a person you can trust, you can say to them in private, I got to get this off my chest. It's the way to freedom. You get it out. You bring it to light. And God sets you free. Then some people are imprisoned by a lack. And we all have lack in our life. But when a person doesn't have access to something like education, 
It imprisons them. We live in one of the most educated uh, nations in the world. But did you know that 50%, 50% of the world cannot read or write? Three billion people on this planet cannot read or write. How are they going to make it in this world? They're not. They're stuck in a prison of lack. And even if we wired the world for the Internet, if you can't read, if you can't write, you don't have access. So did you know that the first schools and hospitals in almost every country of the world were started by Christian missionaries? And why did we go do that down through history? Because the Christian faith is a preaching faith. It's a teaching faith. And it's a healing faith. And all God's, God's people said, amen. And we need to keep doing that. We need to keep going and starting churches and schools and hospitals to minister to people who have lack. Jesus says, I care about people who are imprisoned in these ways. Next, a follower cares for the blind Jesus says, I came to recover the sight of the blind. There are people who have been left out. They've missed out on lots of life because they, their sight is gone. When you're blind, you don't get to see things that other people get to see. You don't get to experience things that other people get to experience. Did you know that 50%, I mean 50 million people today are physically blind? And God says, I care about the blind. But there are more than just those who are physically blind. There's more than just a loss of eyesight. There are kinds of blindness that you've never thought about. Write this down. Some are relationally blind. That's when you don't see how you're messing up a relationship. You don't see why every relationship you get into keeps ending, keeps failing. So you go from relationship to relationship and they all keep crumbling and you keep saying, what's the problem? And the answer is, you are. (laughs) You're the common denominator in all of the failed relationships. You are, but you don't see it because you're relationally blind. But here's the good news. Jesus came to restore your sight. You may be a doofus relationally, (laughs) but God can set you free. He could restore your sight. He came to help those who are relationally blind. He came to help those who are spiritually blind. Spiritual blindness is when you close your eyes to the goodness of God in your life. When you attribute all the good things that are happening in your life to you and your efforts and your power and your diligence. And you attribute all the bad things in your life to God and Him not hearing you and not being available to you. When you don't own how much you've messed up. When you're not willing to admit how much you need the Savior, how much you need God in your life. It's when your heart isn't open to Christ. That's spiritual blindness. But God came and said, I still care about you. I I came to open your eyes to restore your sight. God cares about those who are relationally blind, spiritually blind. And next, a follower cares for the oppressed. Jesus says, I came to release those who are oppressed. These are the people who are kicked around. They're put down. They're taken advantage of. And there are all kinds of oppression in our world that Jesus wants to stop. Some are politically oppressed. In America, we have freedom. We have rights. We we can vote. But in many places of the world, there's enormous political oppression. For example, there are 
35 million people today living in refugee camps. They're there because they've been pushed out of their country politically. Right now, there are 27 million people today in slavery. There are more people in slavery today than any time during the Civil War. And do you know what the number one kind of slavery is? It's the sex trade. It's the commercial sex trade. And that's the next kind of oppression. Write this down. Some are culturally oppressed. Some politically, some culturally. Cultural oppression comes from the culture we live in. Did you know that in Asia, there are about 60 million girls who are missing as a result of selective sex abortion? We don't want a girl, so we're going to abort her. Or due to infanticide, a baby girl is born, so we're just going to dump her. Or through neglect, we're just going to neglect this baby until she dies. And beyond that, every year, 2 million girls ages 5 to 15 are sold as slaves into the commercial sex market. Get that in perspective. There are 67,000 of us living in Yorba Linda today. That's our city population. So each year, 30 times the size of our city is sold into sex slavery. Can you imagine against their will, stolen and pushed into sexual slavery? And in some cultures, if the husband feels like his wife looked cross-eyed at him and he feels dishonored, he has the right to murder her. This happens all the time. Last year, 1,000 women in Pakistan were murdered in what's called honor killings. You think God cares about this stuff? Absolutely. And it breaks his heart. And he says, I have come for those who are oppressed. And then some are spiritually oppressed. That's when you get depressed because you feel pressured or pressed or stressed. It's when you feel like you're at the end of your rope. You're ready to throw in the towel. You're ready to give up. You're ready to hang it up. You're ready to chuck it all. That's called spiritual oppression. And Satan is always the source of spiritual oppression. He comes to you and he plants thoughts and ideas into your mind that depress you and get you discouraged. Spiritual oppression is real and it comes from our enemy, Satan. But listen, a follower of Jesus cares for the poor. A follower cares for the broken and the blind and the prisoner and the oppressed. In fact, Jesus says, these are the kind of people that I came for. But then notice this. Then he says, I have given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done. It's different than just believing in Jesus. He wants you to follow what he has done. We now know who Jesus came for. So let's look at what he's called us to do for those people. Because following Jesus means carrying on the mission of Jesus. It means following in the footsteps of Jesus. First, write this down. A follower preaches the good news. That means first and foremost, God wants you to tell the good news. And what is the good news? It's that God made you. Jesus died on a cross to pay 
for your sins, all for you. The Holy Spirit wants to live in you. You can be forgiven. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. It's a gift of God. He'll forgive your past and your present and your future. He'll give you a purpose for living and he'll give you a future home in heaven. That's the good news. Amen? And God wants you to tell that to other people. And he wants you to start. You say, I can't start on the street. I don't know where to start. You start with your family. Moms and dads, you got to be kneeling at the bedside of your kids. And you got to be telling them about Jesus every single night when they go to sleep. You need to be praying and telling them about Jesus, what God's done in your life. you got to tell them at the dinner table, at the breakfast table. you got to pray with them and tell them about the great God that we serve. That's where we start. And Shirley and I were pastors four years before we ever had any children. And we shared the good news with lots of people across this nation. But once we had a family, they were our first priority to tell. And one by one, they confessed their sin and invited Jesus into their lives. So tell your family first. Start there. And you don't have any control over your family's past, but you can impact their future. Amen? You can impact their future. So the question is, what kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving? Is anybody in your family going to be in heaven because of you? Are they going to be in heaven because you told them the good news? To follow in Jesus' footsteps mean that you tell the good news. You talk about the greatness of God. Now, you've got a little yellow post-it note on your notes outline. And I want to encourage you to find that right now and and write the name of somebody that you know that God wants you to talk to. Somebody that you know God wants you to tell the good news to. It might be somebody in your immediate family. It might be a mom and a dad. It might be an aunt or an uncle. It might be a neighbor. But write that name on that post-it note. And we're going to pray for them at the end of the service. Write it down. Next, a follower frees the prisoner. Anybody who says, I feel trapped is in a prison. He or she's a prisoner. And Jesus says, I came to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. So what do you do for the person that's literally in prison? What do you do for the person that's imprisoned by an addiction or a secret? You simply come alongside them and you tell them that through a relationship with Jesus Christ, they can be set free. They may have to face the consequences of their actions, but Jesus can set their hearts free. Amen? Amen. Their souls free for all eternity. So write the name now of somebody who needs to be set free by the power of Jesus. Do you know somebody that's addicted? Do you know somebody that's in prison and doesn't yet know Jesus Christ? Write that name down and we're going to pray for them in just a moment. And then a follower restores sight to the blind. A large part of Jesus' ministry was helping people that were blind to see their sinful ways. So what does that mean? It means that you, as lovingly as possible, you tell people the truth. You help them see where they're messing up. And this is one of the hardest things to do, but it's the most loving thing that you can do. It doesn't mean that you go around with a judgmental heart and you point out sins in everybody's life. Not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that when you get close to somebody and you see that they're messing up and they're falling away from God, as lovingly as Jesus has dealt with you, you give them grace and mercy, but you give them the truth. Amen? You tell them the truth that they need to hear. Sometimes a surgeon has to cut you to restore you. He has to hurt you to heal you. If you've got a cancer growing inside of you, he says, we got to cut it out. 
And you don't even see it, but he sees it. So he doesn't just say, hey, think happy thoughts and you'll be okay. You'll end up all right. No, he says, it's there. We got to go in and get it and we got to cut it out. And that's what you do to a friend that you see messing up. The most loving thing you can do is get in their face and tell them the truth. There's something we got to cut out. The most loving thing you can do is help them see the truth about their behavior. So do you have a friend that write the name of somebody who needs their sight restored so that they can see the truth, the sin in their lives? Write the name of somebody that as God leads you, you'll be faithful to speak into their lives with love and grace and yet truth to help set them free from their blindness. Next, a follower releases the oppressed. Jesus says, I came to release the oppressed. He's saying, I I want you to care about the people who are kicked around, the people that are picked on, the people that are put down. And folks, that happens in our, our, our society every day. It happens at school. There are bullies at school. There are bullies at work. There are bullies at home. People become targets. People put them down in their presence and behind their backs. And it's not right. Like Jesus, we're to help release the oppressed. So write the name of somebody who is oppressed and needs to find release and begin praying for them. Write that down, and we're going to pray for them in just a minute. Now listen, we're talking about the mission of a Jesus follower. His mission is to become our mission. Jesus came. Because he cares about people. And when the God of the universe comes into our life and lives in us, he says, I want you to follow me. Because my mission is now your mission. And I want you to be my hands. I want you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to be my feet. And I want you to carry on my mission. Jesus once said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick? or in prison and go visit you? And then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, the poor, the broken, the blind, the the prisoner, the oppressed, you were doing it for me. When you did it for the least of these, you were doing it for me. You were being my hands. You were being my feet, my mouthpiece. So who did Jesus come for? Those who need help. The poor, the broken, the blind, the prisoner, the oppressed. Jesus came for the chewed up, the crossed off, the left out, the freaked out, the have-nots, the held back, the hung over. Been there? The knocked around, the loaded down, and the looked over. Jesus came for the locked up, the led astray, the laid off, and the let down. Some of you have been there. He came for the messed up, the mixed up, the passed over, the picked on, the pinned down, the pushed around, the put down, and even the ripped off. Jesus came for the run over and the run down, the screwed up, the shrugged off, the shut in, and the shut out. 
He came for the smashed up, the stacked up against, the strung out. He came for the thrown away, the turned off, the used up, the washed out, the worn out, the wiped out, and the written off. In other words, our names are somewhere in that list. Amen? He came for you and for me. So here's the challenge. Will you follow in the footsteps of Jesus? Will you do the things that Jesus did? Are you content to just believe in Jesus and be his fan when he answers your prayer? Or are you willing to walk over here and say, I will follow you? Today, will you respond to the words of Jesus when he says, follow me? And you say, yes. Will you follow the mission of Christ? You see, he never invited you to be a fan. But he did invite you to follow. Now, look at the names that you wrote on your sticky note. I want to encourage you to take those home and put those in your Bible or your devotional booklet where you see it. And I want you to pray for them and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And as he leads you, do what Jesus would do. Care for them like Jesus would care for them. Care for them the way you want Jesus to care for you. Will you follow him? Let's pray. And today as we pray, take those lists in your hands and let's lift them all to the Lord right now. Pray this prayer after me in your heart. Jesus, I know someone who is poor or broken, or blind, or a prisoner, or pressed. And I lift these people to you right now. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you begin to help them. And help me to help them. Help me to follow you, Jesus. Help me to care like you. And Jesus, I see myself in the list of those that you came for. And I ask that you help me. Help me follow you. Father, we bow before you today. We thank you for being our great and awesome God. Lord, help us to move beyond just being believers. Help us truly become followers. To follow in your footsteps. To carry out your mission. Help us to respond to those two words. Follow me. We pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, let's give God just a great, great clap. Amen? Amen.